It's time to go beyond the headlines Cause I don't put in overtime just so I can headline Okay, now it's Fox Sports, I'm live with Renee Going hard every day, sports rapping every play Different segments for your favorites Coming at you daily with positive vibes Yeah, we some game changers Basketball, football, soccer With different interviews, you never know who may pop up Listen, <laughs> only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm I'm very excited for this episode because the timing could not have been better. There's a lot of great things going on in sports right now, uh, specifically in soccer, some major breaking news. So I am excited to have our very own guest, Jesse Bradley, on the show, former professional goalkeeper. We do also have a Spilling the Beans segment later with Michaela Williams, a.k.a. Michaela McNuff, bringing us the latest around some updates on on COVID. So we've got a lot to get into today. So without further ado, let me bring on board my fellow former retired, washed-up soccer player. Uh, That is professional goalkeeper Jesse Bradley, now pastor Bradley. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much, Renee. I'm doing great. It's great to have a conversation with another soccer player. This doesn't happen too often on sports radio. But I also want to commend you for at the end of your career, even though you're saying we're over the hill, you are full of energy and passion and doing so many things well. So just congratulations on all your endeavors right now. Well, thank you. I mean, if we keep the show going like this, you can just go. I don't have to say a word. I love the compliments. <laughs> In all seriousness, it's definitely something else, as you mentioned, about being over the hill as retired soccer players um, and just retired athletes in general to have these types of conversations, to be able to share our journey, our experiences, um, and just kind of talk through it and looking back and reflect on it. So before we get into the work you're doing in ministry, I definitely have to talk, talk about your career. You know, having the chance to play at a high level, that's something we all dream about. But it's never easy, and it did not happen overnight at the the click, you know, the click of a button or anything like that. So, where did it all begin for you? You know, I know now you're in Seattle, you're still working in the MLS, but take us back to young Jesse, um, aspiring to not only play soccer but also be a goalkeeper. Because as you and I know, and you more than me, having played yeah. it, it's a tough position in a tough sport. So, uh, take us through that decision to even play goalie and to play soccer at a young age. Yeah, the dream started early. I was three years old. We lived on the campus, the University of Minnesota. So that's a shout out to the Golden Gophers and the Big Ten. I went to all their games and I told my parents I want to play professional sports when I get older. I played three sports in high school. Basketball was actually my passion and my first love. And the soccer coach saw me early on as a basketball player and thought I could convert him into a goalkeeper. And so I picked up that position because you're right. You do have to be a little crazy to be a goalkeeper. You know, now I play the other 10 positions and having a lot of fun, get a lot more exercise. But uh, being a goalkeeper, it's a challenge. The mindset in soccer, there's not a lot of goals. So if you make a mistake, sometimes that means you lose the game. And then in high school, we just had great teams growing up, you know, a great coach. And then the guys I played with, Manny Lagos, you know, he's running Minnesota United right now. Tony Sana played in the World Cup. We won the high school tournament. It was in the Metrodome in Minnesota, 6,000 fans, you know, great memories. And that led, that final game we won in a shootout, and that led to a D1 you know, opportunity for me at Dartmouth College. And I went out to the East Coast. I knew Dartmouth was strong academically. The soccer team, it was like a family. Bobby Clark was the coach then. He's now retired. He's won a national championship. He's coached 
He's a legend in Scotland. He coached in New Zealand, many countries. Uh, he really developed something special. And so often, sports teams, it's about the leader, the culture, and creating those relationships together. And when you're united together off the field, then working together on the field, there's synergy. You care about each other. You find your positions and your roles. So we won the Ivy League title twice. We made the NCAA final. Elite eight, we lost to Alexi Lawless uh, in Rutgers, who now, of course, is on ESPN. But uh, just a great uh, time in college. Continue to have those friendships together. And then uh, also played in Scotland and then went overseas, played in Zimbabwe. And it was a, one of those opportunities where, because of coaches' connections, it was, you know, Queen's Park, Man U, Aberdeen, Zimbabwe. And, and that was a huge decision looking back. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to go to Africa. I learned so much in Africa. And that was also where my career tragically ended too. So that's a quick overview of some of my playing days. And I love being a goalkeeper. You know, the pressure sometimes was overwhelming. And as you move up each level, you know, you eat, drink, and sleep soccer at college, then you get to professionals and you realize, okay, now I've got a contract and you feel that pressure. So there was a battle to continue to enjoy it. That same joy I had at age three, you know, what does it look like to be a professional and not lose that joy? And there's a lot of distractions in sports, but I think at any age, it's a gift. If you're on a team, enjoy those relationships. That's what counts. When you look back, it's not the wins and losses, not that you remember every game, but the people you play with, the ability to play, you know, overseas, international friendships. There's just so many amazing things that come from playing sports. Wow. So I I love that that trip down memory lane and like the Sparknotes version of your career um, and being able to share some of the highlights and major decisions that you had to make. I definitely could have picked up on being a basketball player transitioning into soccer because I do feel like, I mean, I played basketball myself growing up. I feel like a lot of soccer players play obviously just other sports in general, but like basketball, lacrosse, they tend to translate a lot easier into being a soccer player, especially as a goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. um, so that is that makes complete sense to me. But what I also liked about what you shared is just the different opportunities that came through playing soccer, you know, being able to play professionally in a variety of different countries, as you mentioned, playing in Africa and Zimbabwe, playing in uh, Scotland, playing in the United States, playing all over, just having a chance to play the game you love and do what you love, but also being able to see the world with that too. So um, a question that I actually am, am curious to know about you is, as you talk about the pressure of being a goalkeeper, I want to go back to that really quickly. There's pressure in any sports space, you know, regardless of what your position is. But I agree as a, as a goalkeeper, and I felt this as a goal scorer, when your team yeah. doesn't win, it's on you in that sense. And, and people put it, it's not literally on you, but people like to put that blame on you. Oh, the keeper should have did this, or you could have had that or whatever it may be. There is some pressure that comes from that because the final, the goal goes through you at the end. Although we all, you and I know it takes 11 players for it to yeah. get in the back of the net on either end of the field, but there is that pressure. So talk to me about the mentality of not only being able to work through the pressure as a goalie with saving shots, but even the pressure of you're flying out at guys who are coming at you, cleats up, you know, full speed ahead, trying to get every, do any and everything they could to get the ball around you. Just that pressure too, and the mentality that you had to develop to be able to be a high level goalie. Yeah, at Dartmouth, I was a psychology major. So sports and psychology, they fit together. I did an independent project studying some of the teams and talking to the athletes. And when it comes to performance, you see an arc that if you don't have enough drive, if you don't have enough focus, if you're not into the game, then you're not going to perform well. But on the other hand, if you're 
putting too much pressure on yourself and you're actually trying too hard, kind of white knuckle forcing things, you're not in the flow and you're not relaxed and it can slow you down. And that sweet spot where you try to land in the middle, where you don't take yourself too seriously, but at the same time, you're so prepared for the match. Some personal struggles for me, or at least battles, I guess, would to not overthink the situation. I tend to be analytical. And if I get too caught up in my head and I overanalyze, I think too hard, you know, it just slows me down. And that's not helpful as a goalkeeper. Also, another thing I had to learn how to do is forget past mistakes. Because if you make a mistake and you wear it and you let that affect your next reaction and then you lose your confidence, you just can't go down that road. It's a downward spiral. So everyone's going to make mistakes. How are you going to respond to those mistakes? And I remember one of my coaches taught me early on, if you make a mistake, just get hungry right away for that exact same situation because you learn from it and let's bring it on. Let's do it a second time. You know, the first time we played in, in our championship in the Metrodome, I was scared, to be honest. We won the game three to one, but I was timid. And that doesn't work well in any sports competition to be timid, to be kind of afraid of the situation. But I was the crowd, the Metrodome. I'd never been in that situation before. And I learned from that, even though we won, I learned if I ever get back there, I'm gonna have a different mindset. In my senior year, uh, I wasn't scared. I was ready and I was aggressive and I was gonna go for it and not um, hold back in any way. And it turned out we won a shootout. So uh, you get opportunities in life and also sports where you go through a scenario, okay, you make mistakes, but don't sit in guilt. Don't sit in shame. Don't keep replaying all the old tapes of the mistake. Instead, you just acknowledge, yeah, I learned from that. And now let's look forward to the next opportunity. And those were some keys for me as a goalkeeper to stay relaxed, to not dwell on past mistakes and try to stay in that zone where I'm going to perform best. And uh, for me, that usually meant trying to reel it back a little bit because I was amped going into the games and I just knew, okay, uh, just keep, you know, telling jokes for the game, whatever it is, uh, just to keep it light enough for me. So I'm in that sweet spot. I like that because I agree. I feel like a lot of goalies naturally are amped up. You know, you have to, you have to be the, like, you have to more than a lot of other positions, um, just be focused. And the focus, as you mentioned, is different. It's not overthinking. It's not getting caught up. It's, it's understanding where you are right now. So when you're in the moment as a player, and I always tell people um, this, you know, when I was the best moments I had, the best goals I had, those best highlights, when I look back, I'm like, I don't even know why I did that. I don't know why I shot that. I don't know why I made that move. And I'm sure you have some of those things when you look back, maybe it's in, in, the, in the shootout of a championship or, or just a regular play through the game where you're like, why did I do that? I have no idea what made me decide to, to pick right and guess correctly on that PK. So right. that is incredible in itself when you think about when you're just in the moment. And I, I like this comment that Mike Patton is saying of this is not just for soccer, but it is for life. When you're going through life, overthinking every single step and move you're making, you're overly analytical about everything you're doing. You're, you're your biggest critic in that sense, which is a blessing and a curse, but you find yourself tripping up on what you should and shouldn't be doing versus just getting after it, doing what you're supposed to do, doing what you love. And when you have that repetition and you put in the work and the practice, you can just do without thinking. That's so, right. You also mentioned, and I know I did see you were a psych major. I was a psych minor. We have a lot yeah. in common here. You went yeah. to Dartmouth. I was not an Ivy League uh, student, but I did, I do work in the Ivy League now as a reporter. So there's a little, there's some connections there. 
But I yeah. also want to get into, as you talked to about your experiences, um, winning, being a part of championships, being a part of NCAA tournaments, being at the highest level, what's a memorable defining moment for you? We have a lot of memorable moments. Those, those moments you look back and like, ah, that was great. But what's a defining moment for you in your career that you look back on that you realized you learned, you grew in some way because of that moment? You know, my freshman year at Dartmouth, showing up, there's three other goalkeepers in that process of trying to earn that starting spot. And then to see our team, we hadn't won the Ivy League in 25 years. And I think sometimes the breakthrough is the sweetest moment because when there's a barrier that's been there for decades and the team hasn't been able to break through and to see, you know, the joy from, for us, it was at Brown clinching, coming back on the bus ride. I mean, I'll never forget one of the guys wrote a poem, you know, to pump us up for the game. And it was like, Hendo's wrote this poem, but you just feel this camaraderie and the laughter, the joy coming off the bus on the way home and just kind of running around campus. And, and we were just like, couldn't wait to get back and see our friends and just celebrate the Ivy League title. That, that was huge. And to just feel like we've done this together. Soccer really is a team sport. And then my junior year, you know, making it to the NCAAs, beating some of our rivals, making it to the final eight, uh, it's something that we look back upon and we just still talk about the games. We're on Zoom, you know, during COVID, we're all on Zoom as a team together. And when you taste those victories and you know how far you've come and you know uh, how hard you had to work to get there, there's a bond in the sacrifice that comes and there's a bond in the process even before the final result. And I think it's important to enjoy the process and enjoy the teammates as, as you continue. Uh, I remember that contract of just, wow, and now I'm a professional. I've got a contract. I'm playing and in the stadiums. Uh, the competition increases. I mean, each level, whether you're in business, I mean, there are demands, there's sacrifices. You have to up your game. And, you know, for me as a goalkeeper, it meant it was going to be more people heckling, right? So that would increase. And I couldn't let them get in my head. Or... The courage. I mean, it's one thing in high school to dive at someone's feet and take the ball. But when someone that's a professional is coming at you and you're just going to you can't have any fear, you've got to go all out. Uh, those are, you know, some of those uh, breakthroughs. And I think for me, the friendships internationally are just so special. I, I feel like our world needs to come together. Uh, we need to love people in all nations. Like there's not one group of people that's above another group. In fact, we learn so much from each other and we gain so much. So living in Africa and learning from the people there, I had never experienced poverty or drought, AIDS, never mm. seen it like that. And, you know, that broke my heart. And, and yet I saw people who were singing. I saw people who had hope, who persevered. I saw people who were generous and hospitable. And I was thinking, how could people here in Bulawayo be so generous when they have so little. And then I think in America, we have so much. And sometimes we don't even know our neighbors or we're not quick to help someone or we're not just going to give away possessions to someone in need. And they taught me so much. And so those friendships and what you learn overseas, um, I wouldn't trade that you know, for anything. You can't learn that in the classroom. You've got to go and, and be in that to experience it. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and you said a lot of defining moments there. I know I said pick one, that's though, true. Jesse. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll give you a short answer for the next question. I, I took some of the time for the next question and just borrowed it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, but it is it is the truth. It's that eye-opening moment. I mean, you've had many of those defining moments. It, it is hard to pick just one. There is There is way more than just one that you can pick of those defining moments that really helped you have a better grasp of who you are, 
the perspective of the rest of the world, as you mentioned, when you're in another country, if you're in a place like Zimbabwe and you're seeing people that have nothing, yet they are the happiest, most selfless people compared to some that, as you mentioned, on the other hand, maybe have, quote unquote, it all. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that perspective that you're sharing of just the different chapters in your life and what they each taught you and how you learned and grew um, are defining moments in their own way and, and those stepping stones to help you. And if I didn't know any more, any better, I'd say you're, you're preaching right now, but I know that's yeah, not well. what you do. <laughs> preaching some good things here. But I, I do want to ask you something that jumped out at me when you said um, the transition of high school to college to pros when you're now coming out as a goalkeeper, going against some of the best opponents. Who is that player that maybe, mm -hmm. I won't say had you starstruck or nervous because we don't, that doesn't happen to us. Right. But maybe had you like taken back, like, wait a minute, this is this is happening right now. I'm I'm going up against who? Yeah. Right. You know, when I got to Aberdeen, there were guys that played in the World Cup, you know, Hans Hillhouse. I just when when you watch someone play and they're an internationally known player, they're outstanding. This goalkeeper, Theo Snelders, like I mean, you see people play in the top clubs, you see them play internationally at the highest level. And it's one thing to watch them on TV, but then when you're in the locker room with them, you know, they're on your team or you get to know them and you're in training together. And it's like, wow, now you're just sitting down at lunch and talking. And then you get to know a whole side of them that's off the field. And uh, I think for me, being in Aberdeen and just Scotland has so much, such a legacy when it comes to soccer and there's so much passion that being in that environment and playing with international players, I, I was learning so much. I mean, the coach said, you know, just basically do whatever Theo does. And I was like, yes, sir, that's great advice. I'll just do whatever he does. And to have role models like that as a young player, I mean, that meant the world to me. And so uh, I'd say, especially overseas, you know, at the, at the time there weren't as many like well-known American soccer players that I looked up to. So it was overseas and mm. uh, to actually meet them it's a dream come true. You know, it's, I loved it. And that does say a lot about just the, the growth and changes we've seen in soccer, because I, I agree. I feel like growing up, especially on the men's side, and there are some household names on the, on the men's side in soccer. You think of Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Messi, who we'll talk about shortly, um, that are household names that live in other parts of the world. You know, we are now seeing that change where more and more kids do have players in their own backyard they can look up to and and rock their jerseys on the men's and women's side in soccer. And that is that is so important to be able to have those those role models you look up to that, you know, you can aspire to want to be like one day. But I do want to get into Messi um, because good. the news, and I feel like, again, perfect timing. Everything happens for a reason. Um, as I was going throughout the day and I saw that Messi was in Paris, I was like, oh, okay. Obviously, we heard the news uh, that Messi was not going to be returning to Barcelona. They could not afford to... Um, keep him on the team. As we all know, COVID has had several impacts on our world, especially financially um, as well. So that is something that was not a surprise to me, but was of course still a surprise to me because after all these years to think of Messi not playing in Barcelona, what? So yeah. then the now, so then the question is, where will he go next? So we get the breaking news today. He's in Paris. And then we get the even bigger breaking news. He's joining an incredibly already talented PSG team to play with players like Mbappe, Neymar, and Sergio Ramos. And I've got to get your initial thoughts when you saw this yes. break. <laughs> you know, you probably got some people listening who aren't as familiar with soccer. So PSG isn't going to be an acronym that they're throwing around. So, you know, the parallel might be going back to the Miami Heat 
as LeBron, you know, takes his talents down to South Beach and you've got Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh there. I mean, bringing these three together, Messi to take his talents to France. Are you kidding me? Like this is stacked. Like if you're in that league, you're, you're just going to wait for an injury or, you know, maybe some internal fighting, but in terms of talent, like it's a runaway and uh, there hasn't been, especially I mean, Renee, you played up front, you know what it's like on the attack. If I was a goalkeeper yeah. going against those three, I'm like, can we find uh, some more money for our defense and invest in some more defenders? Because this could be amazing. There's gonna be so much attention drawn to them. And I feel, you know, I'm grateful that Messi was able to win in Argentina. They just beat Brazil and the Copa America. So that was a huge breakthrough for him personally. So I think some pressure will actually be off him because of that accomplishment. And I think he's in a season in his life where he'll just enjoy it as well. Uh, you have yet Argentinian and then you also have Brazilian coming together in the attack with Neymar, but I think they're gonna work it out. And you know, you mentioned for men's soccer, I'm thrilled that the U.S. is developing so many more players who are playing professionally at the top levels now and at young ages. It bodes so well for us, you know, coming off the, the big Gold Cup victory. But the women have been at the top for a long time. And I think it's the other nations that have looked to the American players on the women's side because we have so many outstanding teams and done so well. And so I feel like the men are trying to catch up internationally on that top level mm -hmm. where the women have been the team to catch. And hopefully the women can stay ahead. I know there's a lot of strong teams right now in leagues for the women. It's great to see women's soccer developed. I mean, we just want to see the fullness of both the men and the women in our country. And I think we're making huge steps in that direction. I see more kids playing, you know, just in the playgrounds. The coaching is better. MLS is better. I mean, the best athletes aren't going to all the other sports. We're really seeing a lot of progress. And uh, it's going to be fun, though. Going back to your question, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, I usually watch the English League. That's probably my go-to. Uh, but I think I'm going to be watching more from France this year. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, it, it is just insane. It's a good comparison of, you know, when LeBron took his talent to South Beach. I like that because it is, I said it was a cheat code. It's like if you're mm -hmm. playing FIFA, you know, when you are playing yeah. FIFA and you put all the best players in the team because you want to see all the, <laughs> the best players play together. This is what we're seeing in real life. It's happening. Um, right. So I think when I, when I first read, I was like, maybe it's just in Paris. Just visiting. There's no way this is actually going to happen. There's no way they're going to pull this off. And they did. Um, so it's a major, majorly talented group that is going to be fun to watch. I'm just excited to see how they all gel together. I mean, he's, he's played with players like Neymar before. Um, obviously, yeah. him and Ramos have that history, too, um, on the other side. But, you know, it's it's exciting because it's something to, I, to your point, just to look forward to. More more great yeah. soccer. Now, now we get to see, okay, how are other teams? going to try to adjust defensively i don't know how you do um mm -hmm. to slow them down but yeah to your point about like the u.s men winning uh copa america we've got women even they they fell to bronze which is you know mm -hmm. underperforming in what their expectations were they still have been at the top of the of women's soccer for years now you know okay. so it's great to see on the men's side that they're also catching up and to see you know, the MLS is doing well. Obviously, the union are now going down to uh, CONCACAF to compete to the semifinals. It's exciting. It's exciting for soccer. But yeah. I do want to ask your thoughts on having seen the game as a player to where it's evolved to now, um, being still involved in the MLS, you know, working with the Sounders in a, in a different role now. You know, yeah. what, are, what are you seeing behind the scenes that's really going into helping grow the game, not only get more access, to be able to reach more communities, but also to just continue to empower and educate other kids that soccer is a sport that's worth looking into playing and, and 
should be one of your, your favorite sports to watch, just like every other sport. Yes, we have four children and they're all playing soccer. I would say that one of them has a deep passion for it. The other three are probably just enjoying it. But it's one of those sports that you know doesn't require a lot of money. So I love that, that the playing field is even, every nation. I mean, when I was overseas, kids would even just wrap together plastic and recycle it and make a ball and then play in bare feet. I mean, it's played around the world. It's the number one sport. And in America, it's taken some time to really get some traction and some momentum. Mm -hmm. But what you see right now, the level of play just continues to increase. I'm involved. My coach in college, Bobby Clark, his son is here at UW. Jamie Clark is his name. He's the coach. And the team is outstanding. They've been finishing, you know, in the top eight in the country. It's fun to take my kids and they get to see those pictures. And, and what happens when you get to see the high levels, then you get the pictures in your mind. Then you practice it at home and then you aspire to it and you see what it takes and what's required. And the more... Uh, the programs we have uh, in college, the stronger they are, uh, the stronger, you know, around the nation. There's so many good youth programs now, and I see it on all levels. Sounders, I mean, there's a there's a level of play where uh, there's an awareness. You know, when when MLS, no offense here to the Pioneer, <laughs> great, but you know, sometimes it just felt like kind of pinball. Like there was a little indoor action going on, and it was kind of like kick it and strong and run. And now you just see the intelligence of the runs. You see the nuance of the touches. You see the teamwork. And it's now a league where it's like, it's exciting to go and bring young kids and say, look what they're doing out there. And I feel like across the board, everything's heading in the right direction. And so let's not mess it up. Let's just, I'm grateful for the people that have just, you know, I think of heroes really in terms of soccer, the last 20 years that, you know, started out, and I remember when I started playing, we would pile no seatbelts. We would pile 10 people in the back of a station wagon and there'd be one person to pick everyone <laughs> up and we'd take us to the game. And, you know, uh, now there's so much more. I mean, the clubs are so much more developed, the uniforms and everything, but it's not about the outward stuff. It's, it's the passion for the game. It's playing it far beyond just the practices. And it, it's really a culture right now where America has more of a soccer culture. And, and also I think, some of the people coming from other countries bring that passion some of that expertise and that blends together which is beautiful i mean it's the beautiful game and when you see the influence the different styles around the world uh and, and what we can learn from each one and and the american style i mean we started out with strong goalkeepers because we just you know athletic going back to tony miola and brad friedel and you know there was a lot of them but we're far beyond just goalkeepers and defense now we've got attacking players and uh, I, I just feel like across the board, the bar keeps getting raised and mm -hmm. I'm excited for the next generation. I, I think, you know, the sky's the limit for where this could go. And it's in Seattle, you know, we have the second most uh, people attending games, about 40, 45,000 a game. And so there's, in this city right here, there is a buzz. I mean, I still play in a men's league and it's just fun on all levels, this competitive and, and the friendships you build. It, it's one of those games that, I think you can keep playing for a long time in life as well. And uh, I, I just look forward to play with my kids and hopefully my grandkids someday. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I agree. I do feel like we're finally seeing the growth, um, the progression of especially the MLS. It's, it's hard because a lot of people and you get this and I understand this, but they don't really realize all that the MLS is competing against. When you look at the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, other sports, the NWSL, um, they usually are the, the reigning league where the best players are in that league, whereas the MLS has been playing catch up with the Premier League and, and, and all these other leagues, Champions League, that they're trying to keep up with.
to be able to compete. So you don't always have the best players in soccer in the MLS, but it's still a fun brand of soccer to watch. And as you mentioned, it is evolving. We're seeing much more, you know, tactically, technically um, to develop the game. But I, I love the point that you make about just being able to continue playing, staying invested in the game, whether it's playing in the men's league or now having the opportunity to work with your kids to have them involved in the game. And you are involved in, in the MLS, but just in a different capacity. And I love that, that, that journey um, that I was able to look into. And I'd love to hear you share it with everybody else of transitioning from being a goalkeeper and now being a pastor. And as you mentioned before the show, you know, you did not grow up in an overly religious household where you were in church seven days a week or anything like that. It wasn't until college that you were truly exposed to and started, you know, getting into more spiritually. So I am curious for, you know, what made you make that switch that I'm, I'm a very religious person myself, but to make that decision that I'm going to take this a step further, it's not enough to read the word. I'm going to continue to study it. And I'm also going to preach the word and I'm going to have family and faith nights at uh, Seattle and everything. What was that switch for you to take it a step further to become pastor, Jesse Bradley? Yeah, thank you, Renee. You know, when it comes to the American system with soccer, one of the strengths is that college soccer is outstanding. And in other countries, when I lived like in Scotland, they didn't have the academics and the athletics together. And so I was able to enjoy both. And then there was this part of my life spiritually where I never really considered uh, much going into college. My family kind of like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, a little bit of everything from Catholic, ex-Catholic, rabbi, Jewish, atheist, agnostic. I didn't believe God existed. And I took a class. It was the introduction to world religions, read the Bible for the first time, started to learn about Jesus for the first time. And I was just so intrigued. I had so many questions. I started to kick the tires because I'm like, if I'm going to believe there needs to be some facts here, there needs to be some evidence. And so I took it kind of from that cognitive academic approach, like what's the evidence? Is Jesus real? Is he risen? And asked all those questions. And then when I made that decision, sometimes in life, you know, you got beyond the headlines and there's an outside story and an inside story. And a lot of times on social media, we project a certain way or in sports, you know, we project a certain way, but on the inside, something was missing. And when I discovered a relationship with God, it's based on grace. You don't have to earn it. So much of my life was performance and achievement and earning, you know, academics, athletics. And this was like a love and a gift that I never had before. And I, I just had so much joy when I experienced that relationship. And I didn't expect to be a pastor, but in Africa, I took a preventative uh, medication to uh, really protect me from malaria. It was called larium and it built up toxic levels in my system. And that's what ended up ending my career. I was fighting for my life for a year, it took 10 years to recover. And during that time, that's when I, I really, you know, discovered what's after soccer. And, you know, I commend you because you've made that transition so well and you're, you know, a communicator and in business. And I see you on like football games, not just soccer and Ivy League. And, you know, you're just, you're doing so many great things, but I was in a spot where I felt kind of hopeless. I didn't know what to do next. And out of that, the foundation of my life started to change. Instead of my performance based, I, I realized who I am and that I'm loved. And my mindset started to change. I'm grateful for each day, thankful. I just started serving people. And sometimes pain will lead to your greatest passion. And because I knew what it was like to be fighting for my life physically, and I knew what it was like to not have hope, a passion grew for me to spread hope, to meet needs, uh, to strengthen communities, to strengthen families, to help people discover spiritually, you know, a foundation for their lives. And I just wanted to serve people in that way. And the same passion I had with training for, you know, being a goalkeeper, 
I just found that the passion, it even increased because at the end of the day, you know, it's great to win a game or a championship, but how much more meaningful, like when lives are changed locally and globally. And, and I found that pastors a role for me where I get to have an impact and I get to be part of teams and I get to see, you know, neighborhoods, communities change. And there's so many ways to express that, you know, whether it's teaching and friendship or during COVID, uh, there's a team that's been raised up and they've handed out over 15 million pounds of food. There's another team that's drive through prayer and there's people that just pull into our parking lot. They've got cancer, they're in tears, they're lonely, and they just want someone to care for them. And there's so many things you can do this weekend. We've got eight churches coming together to serve our city, cleaning up the city and doing lots of different projects and painting. And there's practical ways to live out your faith. Faith might sound kind of nebulous, but I go back to, you know, it's a relationship and then you live it out and it's in your relationships. You love other people. And if you truly have a, you know, a faith in God, a relationship with God, you're going to receive love. And then that's so important because we need to, United States of America, we need to unite. We need a greater love, a greater unity. And for me, uh, it's just my story. And I know there's a wide range of people watching with different viewpoints and beliefs. And I you know, want to be respectful for everyone. But for me, uh, Jesus has changed the way I see people and see the world and has created a passion uh, to serve people and, and build those friendships. And I just, I love what I'm doing right now. I really do. I love it. And I can hear that. I can feel that passion as you're talking because, um, you know, that's, you know, as you mentioned, it was through a, a major circumstance. I didn't even know that happened to you. That's, that's in- mm-hmm almost doesn't even seem like a like a real story but you're you're like I what I like about it the surrealness of it is the fact that faith is not something that as much as we study and read that happens in a way that makes sense you know when I think about the, the moments that have defined and strength, strengthened my faith it yeah. is those moments that you are just you know forced to you know in, in that moment nothing else makes sense around you medical decisions the doctors uh the, the banks whatever it is um what they're saying is one thing but what you're seeing is a whole different thing you know what changes for you is a whole different thing because of your of your faith you know and that is having this the ability to believe in what you can't see believe in what can't be read or put into you know always makes sense and so um you know it is incredible to hear about the way that your faith has grown over the years to now allow you to be part of in, in your community something greater than yourself, you know? And, and again, like you said, like we're not pushing any religion, anything specific to to anybody that's listening, but it is just understanding your purpose. That is something regardless of what you believe in religiously, um, we all have to figure out our gifts, our purpose, and, and what we can use our talents to help provide and grow within our communities and, you know, with people around us. So, you know, for you getting to be a part of the Seattle Sounders in a very unique way now, um, where you're leading, is it faith and family or family and faith? I wrote it down like yeah, 50 times right. and I feel like I, <laughs> faith yeah. and family nice. <laughs> you got it, you got it. Okay, um, you know, how did that even come about? Because as, as we talked about before, there is more right now, I feel like the blurring of lines. There used to be this very structured belief that sports are here, Politics are here, religions over here, and they don't intersect in any way. Even though we sing the national anthem and we have the flags waving and we have military personnel at games, yet we still like to, or some still like to believe there is no intersection. So to yeah. be at a, in the MLS holding these um, religious conversations, how did that come about? And and share a little bit more about exactly what it is as well. 
Yeah. Personally, I remember when I prayed for the first time, even before a game, you know, that I have quick reflexes that, you know, my mind would be sharp and it just calmed me. And I could see early on for me that intersection between faith and football and the difference it made going into games and just being ready to dive into the action in just a really healthy mindset. And then through the years, we started FCA, Fellowship Christian Athletes at Dartmouth. And I just always loved working with um, different athletes. When I served as a college pastor, University of Iowa, there were football players there. You know, Aaron Campman was there. Went on to play for the Packers, Dallas Clark. I mean, and so many of the teams right now professionally have chaplains and full-time chaplains too. And you see that in sport because I think franchises and organizations, they realize that we're not just intellectual, we're not just physical, um, not just emotional, not just relational, but we have a spiritual component. And in fact, what happens spiritually so often touches every part of life. And so teams value this chaplaincy, this comfort, this encouragement, and to provide food for whoever wants it, you know, spiritually to grow in that area of their life as an opportunity for development. And when it comes to the Sounders, a lot of it just came out of relationship. So many things in life come out of relationship and just come out of trust. And as you get to know people, you discover opportunity for collaboration. I love that word collaboration because it's like, how can we bring the best out for each other and then help other people? When you have a mindset of how can we make this better? What could we offer together? I think that's where some of the best partnerships, that's where some of the best ideas come. And it was something we started new where faith and family night, there's a lot of people in our community that faith is an important part of their lives. Families can come together, have a great time at the soccer game, hear an encouraging or inspiring message and uh, combine it, you know, a player, someone like myself who was a player and a pastor, a current player, uh, bring that together. And so I'm grateful for, you know, the, the Sounders. Of course, I'm not going to talk about all the rings they're winning right now <laughs> and the championships. I won't talk about the record. I won't talk about, you know, all the great players. But um, in addition to all that, go Sounders. We welcome you if you're looking for a team in the MLS to get behind. Uh, but um, yeah, and uh, it's just, it's been a lot of fun. COVID's thrown some wrinkles in there. We're still hoping, you know, we could do it this year, but uh, it's really best, you know, when the stadium's open and, and we can dive into it fully. So one step at a time with COVID, but we're hoping to have another one soon. If we can't get in this year, we'll go to next year. But uh, it, it's that panel too. We want to bring in a college player and just show that range again so that young kids can see like, all right, here's college player. Here's a professional player and get to know the players behind the scenes, off the field. What's really important to them? What really drives them? How does faith strengthen them just in terms of their life, their families? Um, if they've had a tough game, how do they bounce back? And uh, I, I love painting that full picture because I, I think that it, it's all the areas of our life. When, when we really kind of maximize our potential in all the areas, that's when we come most alive. And uh, I like to talk about, you know, areas of psychology or areas of spirituality because you don't always hear about those in the classroom and you can have a great career or you can have um, great schooling and great professors. But sometimes the most important things in life are not what you can take the laboratory and love is the greatest. And yet, you know, you can't really measure that in a lab. You can't just like prove it, but it's so real. You know, hope is so real. 48% of Americans during the pandemic, so they feel hopeless. You know, how can we find and spread hope? How can we build each other up? Faith is another one where there's evidence, there's history, there's facts, but there's still going to be that step of faith too. So uh, I, I like, you know, walking through those realms. And for a lot of people, 
Uh, they just need a safe place to ask questions, mm. to talk, to think through it. They just need a place that's not judgmental. It's not harsh. We can just share freely and, and, and just be real, kind of be raw in those ways. And a lot of people, they're thinking deeply, they're feeling deeply about those things, but they just don't know where to go or they're not sure what their next step is. And I love to just come alongside of people and, and just share you know, what I've experienced and learned and just hear what they're looking for too. Yeah, that that's miraculous. I mean, when you think about, as you mentioned, just the change that there's more and more conversations um, in, you know, in the locker room with teams, uh, for specifically for the Sounders, I like your, your shameless plug about the Sounders. It's perfectly fine. We all saw the Sounders win time and time again. Um, yeah. There's some other teams that are working to, to win the MLS Cup, too. But, you know, as you mentioned, it is the ability to, to have these conversations, whether it's with families at Faith and Family Night or within the community to be able to discuss, you know, religion and discuss these topics, because it is something that, as you mentioned, there are a lot of people, especially around the pandemic, that are seeking that. It mm -hmm. has been challenging mentally, finan um, financially, emotionally, physically. We have all been impacted in some way. So now more than ever, there's the value of being able to have these safe spaces where you can talk through what you're feeling and what's going on. So for you making that transition into ministry, into being a pastor and working, you know, to help keep the conversation going in a unique way. You know, what is something that you've really seen as maybe like a, um, a, a in that moment, that verification and that validation that this is what you're supposed to be doing? Because I think that's something a lot of people struggle with when you are seeking your purpose. How yeah. do you know, like, we're all looking for the sign. How do you know this is what I'm supposed to be doing? This is where I'm supposed to be. So what helped you you know, that validity of knowing, you know what, this is it. This is that next step for me. This is that next chapter. Right on. You have to take some risks. You got to have to step out of your comfort zone. You're going to try some new things. It's hard to steer a parked car. So you got to start mm. find a mentor. Uh, you know, think about what is it that energizes you? What do you wake up excited to do? Start serving there. It's usually going to involve using your talents, serving other people, and lives are changed. And the fact is we need each other. And we've seen this during the pandemic. We truly need each other. Sociologists look at our culture and they say, we're one of the most uh, kind of individual focused. Uh, we're one of the most lonely. We're, we're one of the most self-consumed um, cultures. And it's like, how can we even get to know our neighbors? We had something this week in our mm. neighborhood. We were 115 homes and we gathered together at a park. And we just spent time getting to know our neighbors. I mean, that might sound so basic, but it's so rare. Uh, so often we don't know who's living five houses down or four apartments over. And to, to get to know the people around you, I mean, that was one thing that happened during COVID is we saw it with kids in our neighborhood, about 20 kids it just started because kids need each other. You know, they can't just be so isolated. And then, uh, you know, families getting to know each other and the friendships that were built in the last year. And I think, what if we have more block parties? What if we served each other more? What if we support each other? And I grew up in Minnesota and it's so cold in the winter, you've got to look out for each other. If there's a car in a ditch, you stop and you help them out. And I, I like that mindset. We don't need to wait for a pandemic or an extreme situation. We can live with that kind of generosity and hospitality that I saw in Zimbabwe. Uh, in terms of discovery, what I've noticed is that for me, there's going to be something bigger than me. Uh, in other words, um, you're going to go after a cause or a dream that you can't just do in your own strength or really quickly. Like you're going to go after something pretty big. And there's a sense of like almost compulsion in a good way. Like I need to do this. 
And there's also incredible joy. And, and that combination for me existed. I think when you're in your zone and you're using your gifts, you're going to see lives change. You're going to see people respond and they're going to say, thank you for saying that. Wow, you're gifted at that. They're going to affirm you. The people who know you well are going to say, yes, you're made for this. I see this. This is your, your purpose. And when you connect passion and purpose, that's powerful. And it could start out as a hobby or volunteering. It might turn into a side hustle or part-time. It might end up being your full-time work. It's, it's a blessing when what you do full-time is also what you're passionate about. And, uh, you know, here's another way of saying it. If, if money was not an issue, what would you do? Like if someone gave you a hundred million dollars, you didn't have to think about mm. money, right? what would you go do? Or um, looking back, let's say it's the end of your life. What do you want to be said true about your life and how you lived and what you did? What's the impact you desire? And I think all of us know deep down that the ultimate satisfaction is not going to come from having the biggest house and the biggest bank account and all the cool stuff but it's gonna come from relationships and it's actually gonna come from serving. And when you serve and you're able to help other people, that's gonna be most fulfilling. But when that intersection happens, where it's people's needs and then also what you're designed to bring, and I don't think you're just put together by accident. I mean, you're unique, you're special. There's no one just like you. And so don't try to imitate and just copy someone else. You can learn from people like a mentor, but ultimately you gotta get comfortable in your skin and not insecure, not in fear, not in comparison or even competition, but be comfortable and know who you are, that self-awareness, and then live that out. There's always going to be some people who twist, misunderstand, criticize you. That's going to come with it. And oftentimes, the more success or the more people you can help, the more you start to thrive. Uh, there's an old saying that, you know, bugs are attracted to light. I saw that all the time in Minnesota. You know, the bugs go to light. There's going to be some, some haters are going to throw some shade. Don't give them too much power and just keep going with the direction that um, you're going that again, it, it's noble, it's good. And you wake up excited to do it and you're just seeing lives changed. And uh, for me, you know, it was a prayerful decision. It was one step at a time. But really, the greatest things in life are often not what you plan and not what you see coming. You know, I couldn't Ooh. decide, oh, I'm going to meet my wife at this age, at this place. Like, I couldn't control that. Or I never thought I'd be a pastor. But now I realize, like, it's even more fulfilling than being a soccer player, as good as that was. And I loved it and I miss it. But um, there was more in me than just on the field. And I discovered it. So you might not know what's coming. And sometimes it might come out of pain. For me, soccer was suddenly gone. I didn't get to decide the end of my career. And now life's going a different way. And I've got to figure that out and rebuilding my life and especially come out of that illness too. So um, just know that in painful times, C.S. Lewis says, that's often a megaphone to rouse the deaf world. It's in the painful times that we get raw, we get honest, we kind of take inventory and discover new direction, and then just keep building on those islands of strength. Mic drop. <laughs> I got to go in and I love it because you're saying things and, and look, I, I fully understand that for you, you are a pastor. But everything you're saying translates across, whether it's religious, job, professionally, personally, you know, it, trans it translates across so many different aspects of our daily lives of what you're saying is the fact that the core of it is knowing where you are, being okay with that, figuring out your purpose, as you mentioned, doesn't happen by someone um, 
dropping in like this this great sign from from wherever i think people think it's mm -hmm. supposed to come from of like this is the yeah. job you're supposed to have this is the career you're supposed to have this is the person you're supposed to marry it doesn't happen that way we have to as we're evolving and learning about ourselves we're figuring out what we like what we don't like we're figuring out what makes us get out of bed in, in the morning what excites you you know what do you look forward to doing and then even that um that reciprocacy of like other people saying, hey, this has inspired me in some way, or thank you. That is something that I always tell people is what helped me as a sports reporter know this is something I enjoy doing. When you mm -hmm. have people that are coming to you saying that your interview, your story, your conversation in some way uplifted them and inspired them, that's such a great feeling. But that's not everybody's passion in the same way. So mm -hmm. I think it is, as you're mentioning, figuring out what makes you tick. What is it about you and not other people, not social media, not anything else we, we try to get validation from at your core? Who are you? Yeah. What do you enjoy? What do you want to be doing so that you yeah. can make sure you're pursuing things that make you happy and mm -hmm. that you'll be able to, you know, tap into all these areas that you enjoy? So yes. I definitely want to ask. I mean, I feel like you've already said so many great nuggets, but as we wrap up here, I definitely have to ask through all of your experiences, you talk about your career suddenly coming to an end you know, your illness that you worked through, making that transition, not knowing what was next for you, and then getting into ministry as a pastor, getting to get back into, you know, getting into the MLS. What is that advice that you would share that you've learned throughout the course of all this in your life so far, that biggest piece of information that you wish somebody maybe had told you that you can share with those listening? Right on. You know, that road is going to include grit, grind, sacrifice. I mean, championships, all that goes into it. And uh, it's not always going to be the easiest path. It's the best path. And mm -hmm. so there might be a high cost, but it's going to be worth it. Uh, what I found, it's a simple picture, but kind of like the candle. You know those trick candles that you blow them out and they keep coming back? And what I find is when I'm in alignment with God, for me, you know, God's my North Star. He's the one I'm looking to. That there's this passion and fire that is greater than the challenges. And even though, you know, I might be fighting for my life or, you know, I had side effects that included panic attacks and depression, and, you know, feel like I'm fighting for my sanity through that healing process, that there was this fire that just kept going. And, and for me, that fire is love, it's relationship, and it, it starts from the love I receive. You know, what I had to learn as an athlete, I was always trying to present well, put my best foot forward. But what I had to learn is that I'm loved even at my ugliest and I'm loved mm. at my failure. And when I'm loved at those places, then there's a security there because I don't have to earn or perform or achieve or sustain a love. There's a love that produces a fire in me and it starts with receiving it. And oftentimes that receiving is in weakness. I've learned that I'm not self-sufficient. I need other people. And I would say I need God's help. You know, that's part of my faith. And when I discovered source greater than just my own effort, I mean, that's when I really felt empowered. Yes, I want to use all my talents to the full. Yes, I want to be alive. And, you know, yes, I want to be given my all. But I'm not just relying on myself. And uh, there's a love. I think nothing motivates or changes our lives like love and like grace. And receiving is a big deal. You can't just be given all the time. It's receiving love from other people is a big deal. And uh, I think it's important. We serve one another. We say we love each other. It's going to be love that brings healing in America. You know, I just picked so many different topics. But if I just picked like racial reconciliation, when it's close to my heart, it's going to be love. It includes forgiveness. It includes understanding. 
It includes serving. It includes friendship. It's going to happen in the home. It's going to happen in the heart. It's not going to be a law. And uh, we want to experience that love. And I think we can't wait. We can't be passive, intimidated, wait for other people to take the action and figure it out. Like we've got to start where we are and do what we can in our communities and in our friendships and our families and start to live that. It's easy to criticize. Anyone can criticize, but who could, you know, in, inspire, set an example, live it out. And that's what we need to step up and do together. And I've, I've just found when I'm, I'm close with God, I, I just feel that fire that burns in there. And, um, and ultimately it's about loving relationships. There's nothing more important in life in relationships. The quality of relationships is the quality of your life. And I mean, I'm someone who takes mountains and loves to get after stuff, but it really does come down to relationships and love. Start where you are. And that was something that just jumped out at me. Like, I feel like I, it really jumped out at me because it's, as you're mentioning, just understand that at the core of wherever you are, as you're saying, mm -hmm. you are still loved, you know, I, I, and that's the concept I always say, like planted, not buried of uh, that, that uh, mindset that I brought forward um, with yeah. one of my uh, initiatives, but understanding that like, despite what may be going on, despite what may seem like it's all going wrong or not going your way or that you're struggling with or on the other side that you're persevering through or that you're succeeding in, nothing changes at the core of where you are you know you are loved you are gifted you are working towards something you are making things happen regardless what it may look like in front of you when you look back it's a lot different um mm -hmm. now than wherever you were then so just even understanding and being able to be you know mindful and have that perspective that you know you are moving along one step at a time you look back a week ago a month ago three years ago ten years ago whatever it may be so yes. where you are now is a huge difference. And there's a lot of growth that happens in small ways as well as those those larger ways. So I appreciate you taking time to join us because I can feel that you're just oozing with passion, encouragement, um, great advice, great words of wisdom, but also just experience, you know, that you've that you've been through things. And I can I can sense that, too, of being um, open and transparent with that, because as you and I spoke about before, um, before we even started shooting, it's just so many people get caught up in what they think they see or what they think you, who they think you are or what they perceive based on all the digital platforms and our websites and what they read about you. But at the core of it is always a person that is trying and striving and, and, and hoping to continue to do something more. So yes. for all that you have going on, a lot of tremendous things, can you just share with our listeners um, where they can follow you, what you're doing, you know, what's next for you, I should say, uh, just right. so they can keep up with all that you've got going on as well. Great. Thanks, Renee. I really do think there's a lot of image maintenance with athletes. And also there's a lot of people who are hurting in their struggles. You know, if you're not getting playing time or you got cut from the team or your career ended, you don't know what's next. Uh, you put too much pressure on yourself. And, you know, I've had two family members that have taken their lives and it's brutal. And there's a lot of people who are hurting underneath and don't know where to turn. And I just want to say there's a lot of help. There's a lot of resources and you are loved. You are loved uh, from above. You are loved by so many people so deeply. And there's hope. There, there's a there's a way out. There's comfort. There is um, professional help. There's no shame in seeing a counselor. So I, I just want to reach out to people who are hurting. And uh, my website that we built during COVID, jessebradley.org, uh, you can go there. There's some free resources on hope. On you know, I talk about my own experience from losing so much, you know, through that illness, and then rebuilding my life, and 
what are you know the seven building blocks of hope? What is this practical roadmap? And there's also marriage video series there because so many marriages have been so strained during COVID. And so just mm-hmm. trying to provide content, it's all free. None of it's for purchase. I just want to be there in a in a way with this practical. There's discussion questions on some of it, but those resources are there on jessebradley.org. And anytime you're in Seattle, uh, definitely come to the Sounders game or uh, our church, graceinauburn.com, Grace Community Church. We have a great time every weekend, three services. So you can join us live streaming too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jesse. And and even it's great to see now, I'm sure as you guys are working through in the churches of being able to get back and be in person, being able to now worship together. It's, you know, things are slowly opening up. I know it's still scary, but we're slowly navigating through. So I really do appreciate you taking time to join us. And again, for those that are tuning in, that's jessebradley.org for his website. And then you are on face or Instagram and Twitter as well. You might be on Facebook too, actually, but on Instagram and Twitter as well, so that people can always check in. And, and I will tell you guys, Jesse is very responsive. So if you ever need to reach out, definitely do so. And I appreciate you for taking time to drop by beyond the headlines to share some insights all around your journey, your career in soccer, your career after soccer and all the great things that you have going on. So thank you so much, Jesse, for taking time to join us here on Beyond the Headlines. Renee, I really enjoyed it. You do such a great job just guiding conversations. Like you're intelligent, articulate, you're a great communicator, and you just bring a lot of freedom. Like it's just fun to talk about different stuff. So thank you. Jess, I need to bring you back to the East Coast because you are just giving me all these compliments and it's I, I love it. I love the encouraging words that you were saying. Um, so thank you so much. Not too many of us were doing everything you're doing at that age. So you're not going to the fire. Just keep going, Renee. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you so much. All the best to you as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then for everybody that is tuning in, um, unfortunately, we were going to have a Spill in the Bean segment, but life gets hectic sometimes. And uh, Michaela Williams will be joining us on our next episode of Beyond the Headlines, or a future episode, I should say, to be able to talk through what's going on in the world. But I just want to remind you, as always, to be sure to follow the show. We are everywhere. We are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. We are on streaming platforms and we're bringing you live episodes each week. I was away on vacation last week, sorry. Um, But we are back and, and getting at it to be able to bring you content each week live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. So hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the content we have going on and to be a part of conversations like this because Thursday, We also have another great guest, another former professional soccer player. You know, something about soccer. It's almost like I played. (laughs) Joke. But we will be having Harry Forrester, a professional soccer player, who is going to be joining us to talk about his career as well as also what he's doing now in coaching and training and, and life after soccer. So I really just appreciate you guys so much for taking time. As always, headlines to be able to tune into these conversations. Jesse Bradley, awesome, awesome person as a player, as a goalkeeper at the professional level, but also as a pastor and someone that is giving back. So I hope you guys have a tremendous rest of your day. Hopefully you continue to aspire to work towards whatever goals you are seeking. And hopefully today's conversation also helps motivate you in some way to keep to keep going, to keep striving, to, as Jesse said, wherever you are, be present, be mindful of that so you can keep working and moving forward. But thank you all so much. We'll see you back here Thursday. That is 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, so a little bit later. Hopefully it's not past some of your bedtimes as we're joined by Harry Forrester here 
on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. So for me, your host, Renee, have a great rest of your day, your evening, and I'll see you for more here next time. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a good one. Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines. <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines. <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines with Renee Watts.